0: Welcome to Be On the Boardroom with me, Kieran Paul, where we discuss the latest edition of Insightia Monthly. Now, normally I am joined by our publications editor, Rebecca Sherritt, but today we have the whole of Insightia's editorial team on. Why, you ask? Because it is time to count down the top 10 wildest campaigns of 2022. We've done this countdown type episode for the past two years for the August magazine and it has proved to be very popular with you. So please welcome onto the show Josh Black, Jason Booth, Miles Rogerson and Will Arnott plus of course Rebecca. Each of our writers will tell us about the campaigns until we reach the number one wildest campaign of the year. Kicking it off then, at 10, is Clearway Capital at Total Energies. So Rebecca, what made this so wild?
1: Well, Clearway's campaign at Total Energies was certainly a short and sweet one, persuading the French energy giant over just the course of three weeks to exit the Russian oil market in protest of the war against Ukraine. Of course, at the start of the year, lots of companies faced pressure to divest from Russia, But I'd say none faced such sustained and focused pressure than Total Energies did, finding itself subject to what it described as serious and unfounded accusations of complicity in war crimes. And these claims mainly came due to it being the only oil major of its size to not immediately cut ties with Russia at the onset of the war. In a letter to the Total Energies board, Clearway Capital founder Jean Luca Ferrari warned that the company would face a reckoning at its fast approaching annual meeting, were it to continue conducting business in Russia. And Total was quick to snap back, claiming that its current steps to suspend trade and halt fresh investments in the country were sufficient. But then institutional investors also got involved. Just a week after Clearway's letter to the oil major, the Church of England wrote to Total Energy's CEO, Patrick Puyani, supporting Clearway's campaign and warning that the $10 billion fund manager would need to consider its holdings if further steps were not forthcoming. Unsurprisingly, before the month's end, Total Energies had committed to cease all ties with Russia by the end of 2022. This campaign was really interesting since it served to demonstrate how companies need to be responsive to what their peers are doing in the ESG space. They will be seen as lagging behind if they don't align themselves with market standards. And this can have a significant detrimental impact on business.
0: At nine, we have Oasis Management at Fujitech. Will.
2: So this campaign is an eye-opening rabbit hole, but it boils down to a misuse of company funds, even though I think that might be a slightly boring description of what actually happened. So, never in my time of studying companies and the reasons why activists want to target them have I heard of a president and CEO using company employees to do his gardening, let alone seen a candid photo of said employee doing said gardening produced by the activist. And While I put gardening at the top of my list as the most surprising thing that Oasis management uncovered and accused the Uchiyama family and former president and CEO Takakazu Uchiyama of doing, it's not the only one. There's also been Fujitech acquiring an ultra-luxury apartment lent for the personal use of the Uchiyama family, Fujitech purchasing failed personal investments made by President Uchiyama's family companies, Fujitech guaranteeing Uchiyama family entity debt and lending up to 20% of Fujitech's cash on hand to President Uchiyama-related entity for a period of up to 11 years without any security. So after all these accusations came out, Fujitech, I'm sure wanting to protect its own reputation, announced that a third party investigation will take place into the accusations and the president and CEO Uchiyama will be standing down from his positions and will not stand re-election at the company's upcoming annual meeting, which took place on June 23rd despite Fujitech stating that Uchiyama's resignation and withdrawal from his re-election was due to the company believing that shareholders should not be able to vote on his re-election until he had rightly been cleared of all allegations. Oasis management called it a blatant attempt to fool the shareholders, And shortly following the annual meeting, Oasis will probably feel that they were proven right. Because despite having resigned from his position, Uchiyama was suddenly announced as the board's chairman. And Oasis called this a grave signal of the integrity of the company's board.
0: What gardening was it? Trimming a hedge or just weeding?
2: It, it's not clear from the photo, but you see this man laden in his FujiTech employee's uniform wearing what looks to be like a beekeeper's hat and holding a rake. So interpret from that what you will.
0: Inner is Pershing Square at Netflix. Miles.
3: Yeah, so uh, it's a bit of a sob story, this one. Definitely one of the biggest losses this season. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening will know the name Bill Ackman, but it was back in January this year that his fund, Pershing Square, took a stake in Netflix. At the time, the stock had slid about 35 percent thanks to concerns over its low operating margins and revenue growth. Pershing said it was unlikely to engage in activism with Netflix um, and actually praised the company at the time for its best in class management team and, quote, high performance culture. I remember seeing this as it happened at the time, but uh, when Netflix came out in April saying that it had lost 200,000 subscribers, that was actually its first drop in subscribers in a decade, but uh, that caused its stock price to basically just fall through the floor. In after hours trading that day, it dropped 27%, uh, and the next day it dropped more than 35%, which turned out to be their biggest one-day drop since 2014. Understandably, Ackman flipped Pershing Square's entire Netflix stake on April the 20th, and it was at an implied loss of around 400 million US dollars. At the time, he cited changes to the company's future subscriber growth as the reason for his decision. Amazingly, though, despite the loss, Ackman actually praised Netflix's, quote, exceptional growth potential, as he called it, and said the stock was trading at a meaningful discount to intrinsic value.
0: In front of it in seventh is Carl Icahn at McDonald's. Jason.
4: Yeah, Carl Icahn Over the years, has done nearly 100 activist campaigns, but he's never done a campaign quite like he did at McDonald's. For one, he didn't look to be looking for making money. Rather, he was looking to make a point, which was that the treatment of pigs and other animals in the supply chain of of the fast food restaurant was unacceptable. But one thing that hadn't changed was the tactics he used, which were very much as he would have used in any other financial-driven campaign. He had sharply worded letters, targeting uh, the management for failing to protect its supply chain and and pointing to the damage it could do to the reputation. And he also nominated two director candidates for McDonald's board. Unfortunately for Icon, it didn't fly too well with shareholders or proxy advisors. Both ISS and Glass-Lewis recommended that shareholders... Vote for the company's director slate simply because they felt that Icon hadn't made a compelling argument for change. Though that may not have been the point, because he did raise the issue to the highest level. Thus, it wasn't surprising that at the May 26 shareholder meeting, all 12 of the company's directors were re-elected. But Icon made his point, and following the vote, McDonald's pledged to quote be a leader. In the ESG initiatives, including animal welfare, which maybe was what Icon wanted all along.
0: Sixth is AlterFox at Hasbro. Rebecca.
1: AlterFox's campaign at Hasbro, which pushed the toy maker to spin off its very popular Wizards of the Coast unit, was full of some pretty crazy twists and turns. It was also unique in that it won the attention and support of not just retail investors, but also the gaming community. It all started back in February, when AlterFox nominated five directors to Hasbro's board, calling its Wizard of the Coast segment, which houses the iconic card game Magic the Gathering, The Hidden Gem. The activists claimed that the Wizard of the Coast segment had more than enough potential to correct the company's history of poor disclosure, reckless spending, and weak shareholder returns, especially considering the profits it was already bringing in. Revenue in that unit surged an impressive 42% in 2021 to almost $1.3 billion and made up nearly half of the company's $1.3 billion. Outside of the boardroom, Alter Fox's campaign also won the support of a lot of gamers and retail investors. Most of these had long argued that Wizards of the Coast had been overly focused on profits at the expense of player experience. So, as you can imagine, gamers and retail investors were only too happy. To support the idea of a professional Magic the Gathering player that has a real passion for the game, getting involved in how the game is managed. And interestingly, AlterFox co-founder Connor Haley is well known as a player among the Magic the Gathering circles. But unfortunately for AlterFox and its many supporters, Hasbro was resistant to the activist demands, electing to appoint two directors of its own in April. Shortly after, the fund manager trimmed its slate to three and then ultimately won director after it also failed to win the support of proxy advisors. Despite Alter Fox ultimately facing defeat, I think it wouldn't be surprising to see Hasbro face further activist intervention in the coming years, should it fail to capitalise on Wizard of the Coast's popularity. After all, Alter Fox noted in its recent Quarter 2 results, that Hasbro stock has drifted back to disappointing five-year lows after the proxy contest was all.
0: Making the top five is Sachem Head at U.S. Foods. Miles.
3: Yeah, so it was back in February this year that Sachem Head took an 8.7% stake in U.S. Foods and nominated seven directors, including its own managing partner, uh, Scott Ferguson. They ran the campaign ultimately to win board seats but since February, they've also criticized management's ability to increase operational efficiency after the company announced a, you know, a pretty weak outlook report for 2022, which kind of hinted at earnings being below analyst expectations. At the end of March, US Foods appointed two new independent directors to its board, which ended up kind of encouraging Sachem Head to cut its slate from seven to five nominees in April. It was also around this point that Scott Ferguson, the managing partner of Sachem Head, offered to end the proxy contest if U.S. Foods agreed to hand over four seats and either find a new CEO or explore strategic alternatives, which could mean everything and nothing. It could mean anything from a sale or merger to you know, a new strategic direction. The company fought back, uh, accusing the activist of holding settlement discussions in such a, quote, erratic manner that it prevented a truce. It also released uh, an unscheduled earnings report a couple of days later, which highlighted better than anticipated performance. Then finally, uh, in May, just one day after ISS declared its support for three of Sachem Head's nominees, a settlement was reached. Scott Ferguson, James Barber and David Toy now had board seats and the company's CEO agreed to step down.
0: Now then, this is where it gets tense. Narrowly missing out on a podium finish. Our third point Client Earth and OD Asset Management's separate campaigns at Shell. Should
2: have been called fourth point, Will. (laughs) So the energy sector is no stranger to activist intervention, as we're all aware. But Shell has been in the wars. No less than four separate invested parties have issued demands over the last 10 months, going back to October. It started with Third Point and Daniel Lerb calling for the oil giant to split up its renewables and refining operations amid concerns of its incoherent climate strategy and feeling that the company could reallocate its funds to speed up its decarbonisation process. And despite criticism of Third Point's recommendations, Shell shocked everyone and eliminated its dual-class structure and re-headquartered itself from the Netherlands to the UK, saying that it wished to increase the speed and flexibility of capital and portfolio actions. Following this move, Shell announced its new climate strategy, which was subsequently denounced so strongly by environmental law firm Climate Earth that it sued Shell's board for what it felt amounted to total mismanagement of the climate risk faced in the company, and that it risked going the way of Kodak and Blockbuster. And investor pressure over Shell's climate latency continued to mount. Follow this, urged Shell to strengthen its emissions reductions targets, while ODI Asset Management called for Shell to accept a recent Dutch court ruling ordering it to reduce its emissions by 45% by 2030 in order to align itself with the goals of the Paris Agreement. This seemingly endless activist engagement Shell has been subject to exemplifies the increasing demand on companies to become more climate conscious and environmental concerns are an ever-increasing factor in activist campaigns with numbers of submitted climate proposals near tripling between 2020 and 2022. So
0: we've got down now to the medal places. This is where the heat really builds. Who will take bronze? Who will take silver? And who will take the magical gold? Find out after this. So last month we released our half-year review in association with Ocean Froome-Woloski. Ryan Niebel, and Elizabeth Gonzalez-Sussman of The Firm joined me on the accompanying podcast. Here Elizabeth discusses the S of ESG.
3: I would say this proxy season, the S was a lot more prominent than last year. Uh, last year was certainly an environmental focus with ExxonMobil. But the S, I think, was really, really prominent this year, not only from a perspective of the activists, but also just you started seeing a lot more 14AA proposals.
0: Just scroll down your list of episodes to find that conversation. So back to the countdown and we left you knowing the positions 10 through to 4. But now it is time for that top 3. Taking bronze is Warren Littgenstein's campaign at Aerojet Rocketdyne. Josh
5: This proxy fight was described to me by someone involved as probably among the top 5 wildest of all time. It involved someone who is well known as an activist investor. Warren Lichtenstein of Steel Partners, who has a long history going back to the 1980s of ruffling feathers, you know, not just in the US, but in Japan, where he was one of the first activists to run proxy fights. And this situation involved him running a campaign somewhat at the behest of of another player uh, from the unusual position of being the chairman of the company. Lichtenstein had a falling out with the CEO, Eileen Drake, over a merger with Lockheed Martin uh, that was blocked by antitrust regulators. And Lichtenstein and Drake disagreed about what to do with Aerojet Rocketdyne and whose fault the merger Collapsing was. Lichtenstein said that Drake had failed to plan for the potential aftermath of the deal going wrong. Drake said that Lichtenstein had actually undermined the merger. So it became a deadlock, and it was actually Drake that called a special meeting via written consent and put the proxy right on the books. Then Lichtenstein sued Drake over her use of company resources to wage a proxy contest, resulting in a quite influential court case in Delaware. What actually happened in the end was a bit of an anti-climax. ISS, uh, one of the main proxy advisors, was scathing of Lichtenstein's track record and involvement in the campaign and recommended against his uh, slate of nominees. But I think what was more interesting was the governance lessons from the Toxify it the fact that ISS was so critical of the executive chairman role might be something that we see in subsequent proxy seasons the fact that the board had an even number of directors which resulted in this kind of deadlock because you didn't have an odd number to break it and the fact that you know you had an activist as chair of the board for a long time eventually coming to kind of criticize and wage a campaign against the CEO who had come in under their tutelage so all in all A pretty wild governance, uh, omni-shambles, really. Something that we probably won't see the like of for another few years.
0: Coming so close to the gold, but ultimately finishing with silver, is Legion Partners' huge campaign at Guess. Rebecca.
1: Yes, Guess finished with silver. It wasn't quite wild enough to finish at the top.
0: Indeed. Well, talk us through this one.
1: Legion Partners' campaign, seeking to oust guest founders Paul and Maurice Marciano over longstanding allegations of sexual misconduct, served as a warning to boards everywhere to double down on their oversight of executive behaviour. Legion's campaign may have been financial at its core, seeking to improve the company's share price after a decade of severe underperformance, but the activists' implementation of ESG considerations highlighted how important it is that companies address their ESG shortcomings before they become a legal and reputational risk. Legion commended Guess's current CEO, Carlos Alberini for leading a remarkable turnaround of the fashion retailer, both operationally and in terms of improving profitability, but argued that the company cannot soar to new heights unless it sheds the legal and moral risk associated with having the Marciano brothers on board. And This risk became only too evident at the start of the year, when Guess and Paul Marciano were sued by their underwriter Beasley Insurance, and this was in addition to the already multiple lawsuits filed in previous years against the company. Legion ultimately failed to remove the Marciano brothers at Guess's April shareholder meeting, but only really because insiders control roughly 40% of outstanding shares. Legion's proposal to remove the Marciano brothers from the board did in fact win the favour of an impressive 84% of independent shareholders. And the brothers are evidently conscious of the risk of a rematch, having recently upped their stake.
0: This leaves, as you may have guessed, pardon the pun, Elon Musk over at Twitter. This was, for the first time ever doing our wildest campaigns, a unanimous winner, because each member of the Insightia editorial team Voted this as their number one. So tell us why, Jason.
4: What started as a passive investment turned into a hostile takeover that turned into a failed takeover that turned into litigation. And it's particularly interesting because Elon Musk is not a typical activist investor. In fact, I'm not aware of him actually running any other activist campaigns in the past, especially not at this level. And it, initially, it didn't start out as an activist campaign. The first that was reported by us and others was that the billionaire was looking to take a large stake in the company, which he did. He took a 9% stake and there was talk that he would be joining the company's board. But that quickly fell through amid complaints from the SEC and others that Musk had not disclosed his stake early enough and a potentially violated securities law. But then it changed again. Musk, instead of uh, wanting to get on the board, he decided he wanted to buy the company and came up with a offer uh, $54.20 a takeover proposal and arguing that Twitter has extraordinary potential and could be a force for free speech in the world, but under his logic uh, could only take place as a private company. But then that also quickly soured. And by early June, he was talking about renegotiating the deal and talking about fake accounts on Twitter and that uh, this was potentially throwing off a valuation of the entire company. Now, this is something that the company has denied or has said that they are working on and and have been fully open on this topic. But that didn't satisfy Musk, who very shortly after began indicating that he might walk away from the deal altogether. Now, there have been different theories on why that was. Uh, Most obviously, the stock market had run into difficulty in general and and that Musk was interested in renegotiating for a lower price. Another theory was after his ally, Egon Durbin, who was already on the board, failed to win a majority support at the company's annual meeting, may have further soured the relationship. Though it should be noted that despite losing the vote, Twitter decided to keep Durbin on the board. Whatever the reason... The upshot was that Musk walked away from the deal and blaming management for withholding information and kind of violating the terms of the agreement, which Twitter has strongly denied and has quickly taken him to court. In the end, this wild campaign will be decided in the courts rather than by shareholders. The court judge in Delaware has fast-tracked the case for for later this year, citing the harm done to the company and its shareholders, which is what Twitter has argued. In a nice example of how these wild campaigns can actually provide opportunities to others, short seller Hindenburg Research, early when Musk made his takeover offer, they took a short position predicting that the mercurial billionaire would either lower his bid or most possibly walk away, which is exactly what he did, You know, sending the stock price you know, falling precipitously and windfall profit for Hindenburg. Ultimately, this raises the question of will we see more such wild campaigns led by celebrities of the stature of Elon Musk? Probably not. In the words of one person we spoke to, there will never be anything like this again because there aren't many Elon Musks out there.
0: So that's it for another year of wild campaigns and our countdown. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let us know by emailing incitia.press at diligent.com Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the countdown. I'm Kieran Paul and I'll see you next time.